Well, hey, guys. Um, just absolutely love that story from Gina. I think we might just play that as church for the next 10 weeks and do nothing else. It's so brilliant. Um, this series, though, we are talking about discipleship. Um, and when you think of discipleship, I don't know if you think of things like, you know, working harder, getting better, being stronger, doing less bad things. Well, that's not the service and that's not the series we're going to be going through. When we're talking about discipleship over these next weeks as we go through Matthew's gospel, what we're trying to think about together is how we become more the people of God that we were always designed to be. How we become more fully alive, how we become more like Jesus. And I think um, in the midst of weeks like we've just gone through, months like we've just gone through, 2020 as a whole, that sense of finding our feet in Jesus, finding our life in Jesus, resting on his truth, resting on who he is, enabling his life to flow through us is so absolutely critical, particularly as the world around us seems like a stormy sea. And I feel like this week, as I've spoken to so many of you, you, you have told me how this week, six months in, seven months into COVID, has been such a really difficult um, and a challenging time. And so today we're going to talk about discipleship as we go into Matthew's gospel. Um, and we're going to think, particularly think about it from the place of kings, um, not the Sacramento Kings, who beat the Lakers last weekend, don't worry, we're not talking about that, but the kind of kings who, who rule over our lives, the kind of kings who set and govern us, who have subjects, who set laws. And if you look in the Bible, you will find very quickly that kings are a consistent theme that run all the way from the Old Testament right the way through Jesus uh, into the New Testament. When God is instituting the people of Israel, he actually says to them, hey, guys, I don't want you to have a king. I want you to have a human king. And the reason I don't want you to have a human king is because I am going to be your king. I'm going to be your ruler. I'm going to be directly in charge of your lives. And so Israel, when it forms, doesn't have kings. It has judges who rule over the daily, the moral, the practical, the legal side of the community. And then they have priests whose job it is to help the people interact with God. And for a while, that's the kind of shape of God's people on earth. But it always um, seems to be the way with human beings, or certainly is in my family anyway. Um, after a while, the people look out all the other nations around the area and they go, hmm, it's not fair. It's not fair because everybody else has a king and we don't have a king. It's, li it's literally like a six-year-old going, they've got a toy and I want a toy. They've got Hulu in their house and we want Hulu in our house. They say in 1 Samuel 8, 4 and 5, appoint for us a king to judge over us like all the other nations. Like that's what they say. And God goes back to the people of Israel. And he says, oh no, hold on a minute. Like you don't want a king. You really do not want a human being to be in charge of you. Because if you have a human being to be in charge of you, he's going to tell you what to do. He's going to abuse the power that he has over you. He's going to take your things. And probably he's going to consider himself to be God. And it's going to be a mess. Are you sure you want a king? And the Israelites go back and they go, yeah, yeah, we definitely want a king. We know what we're doing. And so God gives to the Israelites Saul. Um, if you know the story of Saul, you know that he starts off like a, he's a pretty nice guy to start with. And then he becomes a complete raging lunatic and starts murdering people all around him. And then after Saul, you get the King David and you get King Solomon, who in Israel's history are some of the very best kings that Israel ever has. They're far from perfect. They make a complete mess at times, but they govern well under God's guidance. 
But then after you get past uh, King Solomon, King David, you get into this lineage of absolute mess and carnage. If you read through the books of Judges and you read through the books of one Kings and two Kings and through the Old Testament, you actually read about this terrible lineage of awful kings. The Bible actually gives them a rating, a bit like, like Pokemon for kings. It says like there were four good kings. There were five mixed half good, half bad kings. And there were 30 bad kings in Israel and in Judah. And the reason the Bible tells us that they were bad is that they were evil. They did evil in the sight of God. They misused power. They used it for their own gain. They murdered. They turned away from God's rule over their lives. Power corrupts, as they say. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And Israel and Judah become unbelievably corrupt nations. And because everything like, rises and everything falls on good leadership, the people of God find themselves led into captivity, into brokenness, into pain, into suffering, and into death. But alongside all this brokenness, and the Old Testament is hard when you read that, isn't it? You actually also see these glimmers of hope, of something different that is going to come, these prophecies through the prophets, that one day a different king would come, a better king would come. One day a king would come to earth, not just for Israel, but for the whole world, who would rescue, who would care for, who would rule with fairness and mercy and kindness, all the things that human kings don't do very well. And so the people in the Old Testament waited, they watched, they looked out for a king. And when Matthew writes his gospel in Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, he introduces Jesus in a very specific way. He introduces Jesus as this king, the better king who comes to earth. And so let's get our passage for this morning, which comes from Matthew chapter 1 for us. Hi guys, I'm Arlene and I'm going to be doing the reading for today's service. Um, It's a pretty long one, so bear with me, and I know for a fact that I'm going to butcher a lot of these names, so bear with me. Um, So we're going to be in Matthew 1, uh, verse 1 through 17. So this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nahashan. Nahashan, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Josephat, Josephat, the father of Jerome, Jerome, the father of Uzzah, Uzzah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, 
Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconah was the father to Shiltiel, Shiltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Elikim, Elikim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Sadok, Sadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Elizer, Elizer the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were fourteen generations in all from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile of Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. Oh my goodness, that deserves a round of applause, right? You have, you have to be an intern of Vintage Pasadena to be given a reading as horrible and as hard as that on a Sunday morning. Hey, well done, well done for reading that, Arlene, super good. So when you think about uh, Jesus, it's really easy, isn't it, to want to abandon the whole of the Old Testament. It seems complicated, it seems kind of violent at times, it seems a little bit messy, and we find Jesus really interesting and beautiful and exciting and lovely and easy to read. But when Matthew introduces Jesus, he does it in a very specific way. The reason that you get this huge, long genealogy is that what Jesus is doing is bringing Jesus into the historic story of Israel. Jesus doesn't come as an outsider to all the things that God has been doing. It's not like there was a plan A and God just decided to get rid of it because it didn't work very well. And now we get Jesus who is a better plan B. No, Matthew introduces Jesus as the continuation of the lineage of God's redemptive story from David through the exile uh, to Babylon, uh, sorry, from Abraham through, the da- through David, through the exile in Babylon, and then kind of ending with this increased longing for the Messiah who would come. But Matthew's also writing in the context of these prophecies, these stories about the king who would come. If you look at Matthew chapter 123, he quotes Isaiah when he says, hey, this better king, he's going to be born of a virgin. Or Matthew 2, 5 and 6 from Micah, that this better king is going to be born in Bethlehem. Or Matthew 2, 14 and 15, when he quotes Hosea, he's going to come out of Egypt. Matthew 2, 16 to 18 from Jeremiah, that his birth would cause grief from the death of children because of King Herod. And what Matthew's doing is he's validating who Jesus was in the Jewish eyes. Jesus is not a king from outside. Jesus is the exact king who was prophesied. But also what Matthew's doing is he's contrasting Jesus to those bad kings, the kings who couldn't rule, who couldn't govern life well, and even contrasting Jesus to the current king of the time, King Herod, who was a disaster and a megalomaniac and all sorts of bad things. Matthew introduces Jesus as the king who would come and save the world. He says, Jesus, who is Messiah, Messiah who brings salvation to save the people from their sins. But he also describes Jesus as God Emmanuel, God who comes to be with us. 
You see, Jesus is not the kind of king who sits on a throne or in a big palace and shouts and barks orders and sets rules and abuses the people. No, Jesus is the king who comes in the back of the motel in the war-torn land, who comes to be with people. He comes to be with you and he comes to be with me. And you know, in a year like 2020, when everything's been broken and everything feels like a mess, that knowledge that God is with us, that God is alongside us, that God cares for us, God is Emmanuel, as Matthew 1.23 says, is so unbelievably comforting to me. Jesus is a king of justice. Jesus is the eternal king. And I think in the first century, as those first readers would have read Matthew's account, their hearts would have immediately come alive and gone, this is the king. This is the one, the whole world has been waiting for this king to come and rule on earth. And do you know what? In the middle of the 21st century, 2020, I feel like we probably too know how much the world needs a king like Jesus to rule over our hearts and lives. And today what I want to think about with you is this. Are we, are you prepared for Jesus to be the king of your life? Are we prepared for Jesus to be the king of our lives? And I think that's a really complicated question before you just say yes, because that's the correct Christian answer. Just think about it for a minute. I reckon that we don't like the ideas of kings very much. And I don't mean like, You know, we don't like the idea of colonial kings to rule over America. If you've not seen Hamilton, you should watch that. I watched it with Laura recently. You'll never see kings the same again after you've watched Hamilton. It's kind of weird and crazy and scary all at the same uh, time. But we don't like it. We don't like kings. Our relationship with kings is complicated, but it's not even just like, oh yeah, no, we shouldn't have a king over America. This is not like make America Great Britain again thing. Don't worry, we're not gonna talk about that again. Um, But it's actually about every kind of authority figure. Like if I think back to my grandparents, you know, my grandparents 100 years ago, if you'd have asked them, hey, should you obey the police? Should you like behave, you know, do you what the president tells you or the prime minister tells you? Um, should you uh, obey medical authority figures and all that kind of stuff? They would have gone unbelievably so. You know, there's no question about it. But if you think about 2020 for a minute, think about how we have behaved, all of us, this year. The authority figures in our lives have become under intense scrutiny this year, haven't they? Think about the way that we have questioned the police. Think about the way that we have questioned and scrutinized our politicians. Think even about the way that we've uh, questioned our health experts. Nothing is sacred, nothing is absolute. And I'm not saying that it's not right to question authority figures. But I think it's really interesting, though, to think that we do it, I think, on every single area of our lives now. That's the way that we work. We don't want an absolute ruler. I don't want a ruler. I don't want to be controlled. I don't want to be under the authority of another human being. So I say things like, hey, I'm the captain of my soul. I don't want anybody else to be in charge of my life. If you can think back, way, way back, back into the dark ages when they had TVs with buttons on the front of them. Most of you are going like, I don't even know what that is. But there used to be a time when you didn't even have a remote control, when you actually had to just choose from a few channels. And you could choose between all the local things, but you had to watch what was on the TV and was presented to you. Like nowadays, I am totally a cord cutter. Like I don't have a TV guide of any sort. 
I have Netflix, so I can watch what I want, when I want, at a moment's notice. I have ESPN Plus for sports. I have my news thing for news. I have Hulu bits for what I want to see on Hulu. I have all these different things. And the reason I do it is so that I can be in control, so that I can feed my life with my feed of information, my feed of entertainment. I want a designer life. I want to be in control. I want the maximum level of choice, but I want the minimum level of control over my life. I want the maximum level of flexibility, but I want the minimum level of authority and commitment. Now, whether or not Netflix is better than the dark ages of television, I'm not arguing with you. But I think it's interesting and dangerous when we do this with religion too. Now, over the last years in the West, we've seen this incredible explosion of spirituality. People wanting to know about life, the universe, and everything. But on the whole, we've not seen people flock to organized religions like Judaism or Christianity or Islam. What we've seen is people flock to New Ageism, to all sorts of slightly more vague Eastern spiritualities. And I think the reason that we've seen that is because when you do that, you get to pick and choose everything you like. You get to go, oh, well, it really helped me to have a little bit of meditation, or I've got a little bit of Reiki healing, or a little bit of yoga. And if that thing's good and it helps, I'll keep it. But if that thing becomes boring, or it doesn't help me, or it starts to control me, I can just get rid of it and get another thing. We do not want to be controlled. And even when we think of Jesus, before we write off everybody else in the world, think for yourself. The idea that Jesus saves you, maybe you like it. The idea that Jesus is a wise sage and has some helpful things to say about love, maybe you like it. But do you really like the idea that Jesus is the king of every part of your life? Do you like that idea? Well, I think that deep down, once you strip away all of the mess and all of our pride and our ego, deep down, I think we know that we really do need a king. That we were designed, that we're created for somebody to be in charge of our lives. If you turn to Matthew chapter 2, you read about this group of people called the Magi, who totally unhelpfully often get called the three kings at the manger. I mean, it's a pretty strange understanding of the Magi because they weren't at the Magi, they weren't three, and they weren't kings. But apart from that, they are helpful people in the story of redemption. The Magi were actually this really important group of people. Um, they are first recorded in the history books around 700 years before Christ, living in uh, southern Iraq. They were people who were deeply uh, influential, politically influential, but they were also spiritually influential. They were, had this kind of uh, cosmological Eastern kind of religious worship system that was a bit like New Ageism. Um, and they were incredibly well educated. And they were never kings, but they were the king makers of that part of the world. So if any nation wanted to appoint a king, what they would do is invite the Magi to come and read the stars to tell them whether they should have a king. And you read about the Magi actually many hundreds of years before Jesus arrives at the time of Daniel in the Bible. When the Jews are in exile under King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, who has this incredible prophetic gift, is actually put in charge of the Magi. And so we think that the Magi, through Daniel and those Jewish people, learned the prophecies. They learned about this king who would one day come. And so not just for like a few days or a few months or a few years, but for hundreds of years, the Magi look out 
wait, watch as they see all these broken kingdoms and broken kings, they wait and they watch for the right king, the good king, for the powerful king to come to earth. And when they see the star, of course, in the sky, they leave everything behind and they set off as a royal entourage to coronate the king of kings. And I think, like the Magi though, we all kind of know we are created to have a king in our lives. I think that because my six-year-old daughter, when it becomes to bedtime, and she says, mommy, mommy, read me a story. And I say, no, no, you should let daddy read your story. And she said, no, no, mommy's better than daddy. I don't know why that's true in my family right now. Um, guess what the stories are about? They're about kings, they're about queens, they're about princes who come and rule. Even if you don't like kings, you think about like superheroes, like the Marvel uh, empire of superheroes that we have created. Think about how we treat celebrities on the whole. Think about why we want life coaches. I think if 2020 has taught us anything, it's told us that we are not okay on our own. The phrase, I've got this, does not apply to 2020 at all. We do not have this. We long, we long for someone to come and fix everything. Matthew tells us that in Jesus, we have the king that our hearts are longing for. But vintage Pasadena, that king, Jesus, will you serve him? Will Jesus be your king or is he just an accessory in your busy life? What I mean by that is this. Will you allow Jesus's life, Jesus's priorities, Jesus's blood to flow through every part of who you are? Um, I discovered a few years ago that I actually have really poor circulation to my hands and my feet. I discovered this because I used to run two churches which were really cold in England and they had no heating. And in the wintertime, all these people would come and you like shake the hand of the vicar going out church. And they would, all these strange, uh, lovely people would come up to me and say, vicar, you have such unbelievably cold hands. And I would sort of think that's really weird. And then I realized they were absolutely telling the truth. The blood doesn't flow for some reason really well to the ends of my hands. It flows really well to my head, which is why my head is almost always red. Um, but it doesn't flow to my, my fingers and it doesn't flow to my toes very well. And I think spiritually, that's why and how we talk about discipleship. You see, to be a follower of Christ means to allow God's life, to allow his blood to flow into every tiny part of our lives. And all of us will have ways where we have good circulation. We'll have parts of our lives which we are instantly in tune with everything Jesus wants. But we'll also have parts of our lives in the secret which we have bad circulation, where Jesus is not king, where Jesus is not Lord. It might be that you know, you're a person of justice. You know, when someone talks about things that are not true, you're like the BS radar. You, know, like you hone in, you're like, no, I'm not doing that. If it's not true, it's not of God, I don't like it. But then maybe secretly in the quiet, late at night when you're tired or bored, your thought life, the things that you look at on the internet, you know, they're not of Jesus and you know that they're in darkness. Maybe like you've been the person who's been like, no, no, I'm only gonna, I'm not gonna settle for anything less than a godly relationship. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna marry a Christian. I'm not gonna like, day, I'm not gonna do sex outside of marriage. I'm not gonna do anything that compromises who God has called me to be as a Christian man or a Christian woman. But actually, you know that truth 
Lying is a challenge. Maybe like you've read Genesis chapter one or Genesis chapter two and you're like, no man, that call that God gives us to care for the world, to care for the environment, to steward creation, like I am totally there. That's who I am. I'm not gonna compromise. I'm Mr. Environment. I'm Mr. Recycling. Like I'm Mr. Renewable Energy. That's who I am. But like secretly in the darkness, you struggle from substance abuse. You're addicted to something that keeps you captive and in bondage. For Jesus to be king of our lives means that Jesus has to be king of every tiny part of who we are. But before you think, okay, thanks, pastor. It's been a really hard week and now you're telling us we just need to be better. It's like, it's not like I wake up in the morning and I try and be really bad. It's just kind of hard out there if you haven't noticed. What I mean is to allow God to infiltrate every part of our being by his Holy Spirit. Did you notice what Gina said in her testimony that when she found Jesus, people around her started to say that she was a different person and not in like a crazy weird spiritual way, I don't think, but like her her family started to say to her, hey, you're nicer than you used to be. You're a different person. You're more loving than you used to be. Why did she do that? Was it because like all of my fantastic teaching and stuff? No, it was nothing to do with that. It was because what the Holy Spirit started to expand into every area of her life and it started to transform any tiny places of darkness because she's so lovely anyway, into light, into joy, into love. And that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We don't have to prove to God that we're good enough. If you look at that genealogy of Jesus, you'll actually notice that there are in that five women. Absolutely fantastic, there are women there, but no Jewish genealogy would ever include women because they were not considered uh, to help your credibility in your lineage, especially when four of the women are not even Jewish women and three of the women are unbelievably dodgy and sketchy in terms of their character. God isn't looking for perfection. God isn't looking for people who have got it all sorted. God is looking for people who will allow the Holy Spirit to come and transform them more into the likeness of Christ. And I think what that means finally is this, is that as we allow the Holy Spirit to infiltrate every part part of our being, actually we come to the conclusion that we don't have to control everything around us. You know, 2020 has been a really rough year And you might have a really nice, theologically neat argument for all the things that God is doing or what the enemy is doing. I gotta be honest with you, I don't have a neat answer to 2020 yet. I don't know what's been God reconciling and redeeming and changing things, what's been the enemy, what's been human choices. I don't have the answer. But I do know that God has given us a time when we can come near to him. You know, when we look back I think we're going to look back at 2020 in such an interesting way. You know, if you're like me, you probably think about 2020 in terms of the anxiety of the next five minutes and all the things that you've got to do and what is not right and what's a threat and what's a danger and what's not okay yet. I'm going to tell you this. When God looks at 2020, he isn't going to look at it from the perspective of the next five minutes of anxiety. He's going to look at it from eternal certainty. When we look back in five years' time, the question is not going to be whether or not the vaccine arrived in November or arrived in February. The question is not going to be whether or not our schools were shut for this length of time and this length of time. The question is not whether or not we had to wear masks or we shouldn't have wear masks. You know what the question I think we're going to look back in eternity is going to be this. Did we love? Did we grow? 
Did we use the time that God had given us to go deeper and further with him? Or did we just watch more Netflix? Did we binge on another 500 series of things that are coming out on Netflix over the next year? I really believe, and as I was praying this week, that this is a time that God has given us to go deep and further with him. Not necessarily in the laughter, not necessarily in all the fun, but in the deepness, in what feels like darkness sometimes, is to encounter God's transforming presence, to allow him to be the rock on which we stand. We will never change ourselves to be better, but if we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, I believe that God can change our lives and he can change our country and he can change our world. And so as I finish, I, I wanna pray. I wanna ask for the Holy Spirit to come and meet us now. I believe as I say, come Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is already here. But I believe that the Holy Spirit may wanna to speak to us, to touch us, to transform us in ways. And so if you're willing, if you're able, maybe you might wanna just put out your hands as I ask and pray for the Holy Spirit to move in this space and in this moment. Father, I feel like we are all fighting. We're all battling. Seven months in, we're just, we're, just, we're just like treading water to keep our heads above the surface just to keep going until someone comes to rescue. But Lord, thank you that you have already come to rescue us. that because of Jesus, we already have life. So Holy Spirit, would you come and impart the life of Jesus into our very core right now? Would you burst into the darkest parts of who we are right now? into the places of anxiety, into the places of fear, into the places of addiction, into the places of division and hatred. Come Holy Spirit, change our hearts. As we stand within a world that is divided, which is arguing, which is shouting at one another, which is constantly trying to undermine, which is constantly trying to get its own way, would you teach us to be different people? Teach us to love. Holy Spirit, come. And I just, I just sense, and I might be wrong, there might be a few of us who are watching this morning who are really addicted to something. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something you look at on the internet. Maybe it's a substance. And you, you know that deep down it's, it's killing you. That it's not life. But you can't, you can't get out of it. And I just want to invite you. If that's you, I want to invite you to particularly go on our prayer call but I'm gonna pray for you particularly now as well because I believe that God's will for us is always freedom and healing. So let's just pray for that. 
Lord, for any of us who are here today who are really struggling with a particular issue that's killing us, whether it's a drug, whether it's something in our thought life, whether it's something we watch, whether it's just a destructive pattern of behavior, right now, we pray that it would be broken in the name of Jesus. And that Jesus, you would become Lord of that area of our lives right now. Thank you, Lord.